Welcome to Data Points, a podcast by InterSystems Learning Services. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Links can be found at datapoints.intersystems.com. I'm Derek Robinson. And I'm Adam Coppola. And today we feature part two of our interview with Russ Leftwich, Senior Clinical Advisor for Interoperability here at InterSystems. Welcome to episode nine of Data Points by InterSystems Learning Services. We're going to go straight into part two of our interview with Russ Leftwich. This half of the interview features just Adam and Russ. To listen to the first half of the interview, you can check out the most recent episode before this one, episode eight. After part two of the interview, we'll come back and chat with Adam about some of the key takeaways, as well as welcome Jenny Ames back to the podcast to discuss the upcoming Fire Dev Days. Without further ado, part two with Russ Leftwich. So as of 2020, InterSystems products support Fire. So that's InterSystems Iris for Health, which is meant to be a platform for app development, and HealthShare, which is meant to be an interoperability engine for healthcare facilities. Can you talk to us a little bit about what some of the applications using Fire might look like? So one of the principal advantages of Fire is that you can access just small data sets, small pieces of data, because most of the time in healthcare, that's all you really need for the care of a patient, or for that matter, that's all a patient needs uh, at any one time, is just what medicines are being prescribed right now. What are the uh, lab results, the cholesterol levels for the past year? Uh, you don't want to know everything about a patient very often. You just want to know some particular piece of data. And that's what FIRE is particularly useful for uh, because of this idea of resources that are logical but discrete data concepts. So a medication or a patient or a, a, a lab observation. Uh, those you can express in FIRE um, and you can query for just those pieces of data with FIRE. That makes the possibility of having applications and particularly a mobile portable applications a whole new paradigm uh, with FIRE that wasn't possible previously, wasn't possible 10 years ago uh, because you can just create an application around the small set of data that is of uh, interest in a particular use case, either to a clinician, to a patient, or to somebody doing research even. Our uh, technology in InterSystems goes uh, a, a large step further by including the ability to uh, transform data that's in existing uh, legacy standards into FIRE resources. So we can take in data from uh, healthcare systems, data that is in HL7 version 2 message streams, uh, which as I mentioned earlier, that's the most used healthcare data standard in in the world. It still is the way most data is represented. 
in the CDA documents, Clinical Document Architecture, which is another uh, HL7 standard uh, data that's expressed in those uh, clinical uh, CDA documents can be uh, consumed by inter-systems technology and transformed into fire resources. All those fire resources can be stored together in a repository of uh, fire resources that is a part of our uh, technology and then can be queried by uh, uh, REST queries uh, to get uh, just the data that an application needs for a particular purpose. Uh, that's really a very powerful quantum leap, I would say, uh, in what we can do with, with healthcare data. Intersystems technology is also capable of, of uh, dealing with all four of the current released published versions of FHIR. So we can go from legacy standards to FHIR. We can go back to legacy standards because some systems can still only consume data in those formats. Uh, and we can deal with the different uh, versions of fire that are currently implemented outside of uh, inner systems in the in the rest of the world. So we've gotten a little bit into the technical details of how fire is implemented in intersystems products and beyond. I want to take a quick step back and ask the question of how will how will these changing standards impact patients and clinicians and administrators? So they have already started to impact uh, clinicians and to some extent administrators because it's fairly easy to create a fire application that works within your organization and lets you visualize uh, the data that you already have. Uh, one of the big challenges for healthcare organizations is that it's not easy with the standard electronic health records of today uh, to access the data that's in those systems other than to view it, for a human to view it on a, on a screen that, that shows an electronic version of a, uh, of a patient chart, paper chart from the past. When you want to get to the data, uh, only specific pieces of data, the uh, fire applications that have been created allow uh, clinicians to do that very uh, readily and and provide a much more uh, useful view of the data in any in a particular uh, clinician specialist workflow uh, than the electronic health record would provide. Customizing an electronic health record for a particular uh, specialty over the past couple of decades has been prohibitively expensive. So people had to uh, sort of live with what what they had, uh, and it wasn't ideal for clinical workflows, especially as those workflows got more complicated and the data got more complicated. Fire has already started to solve that problem. Uh, the same for patients, um, and we're just on the very uh, leading edge of this, that patients are able to access their data in a electronic record system uh, using uh, mobile apps. And the government has recently produced new regulations that say that healthcare organizations absolutely must permit patients to access their own data uh, with those 
kind of applications. And the ideal technology to do that uh, is fire. And the government has actually said in their uh, regulations that were published just uh, uh, within the past two months that fire APIs are the required mechanism for patients to access their data uh, or to authorize an app to access their data on on a clinician or some other entity's behalf. Well, uh, about uh, two years ago, uh, Apple uh, HealthKit created the ability for patients to download a limited set of uh, data to their iPhone uh, as fire resources. It was not really their entire record as some of the uh, articles that were published uh, suggested. It was actually just a small but important part of their data, and it could only be downloaded to their iPhone where iOS apps could then access it. But that was the beginning. Um, there are now uh, hundreds of hospitals in the U.S. that, that offer that uh, capability to uh, patients with iPhones. But, but as I say, this is just the, the leading edge of it. Over the next uh, two to three years, I think it will be uh, commonplace for people to have uh, uh, apps on their mobile devices that access their own data uh, or share it with someone that they have uh, authorized to consume their data, which might be another clinician, might be some um, analytics platform. It might be a researcher who's researching some condition that this patient has. You've given us a lot to be excited about moving forward. Is there anything else you want to add to what you've said yeah, let me mention one other way that FIRE is already being used and leverages that ability that I mentioned to just uh, pick out particular pieces of data that are of interest. One of the uh, already useful innovations with FIRE is around uh, clinical decision support. Clinical decision support is increasingly important as the amount of data and the complexity of data increases, and the human mind just can't process all of that data in many instances uh, on its own. Decision support is not new. It's existed for decades. Uh, even before computers, there was decision support in the form of uh, charts and, and uh, manuals that uh, doctors carried in their pocket to look things up. And then when electronic health records evolved, uh, decision support became part of those electronic health record systems. Uh, but the problem was the decision support was embedded in each implementation of each electronic health record. Uh, if some new information, some new guideline came along, uh, it took a long time to update the decision support in all of those different systems. And to some extent, they were each customized for the organization they were in. Now we come to the day, the era of fire, and decision support services can be web services outside the electronic record. So many different electronic records might use one decision support service uh, that is specialized for a particular uh, area of clinical care, and that decision support service can get the data about a particular patient that is needed. We call that 
the, the patient context. Uh, how old is this patient? What is their uh, laboratory value for something? What is their gender and so forth? What are their diagnoses? The decision support service needs to know some set of data about this individual to uh, offer a recommendation. Now we have FHIR as a way to export that patient context data out of the electronic record in a consistent uh, format using, as I've mentioned, a data model uh, that all of the systems share so that one decision support service is getting its context data from many different electronic health records in the same exact format being FHIR, uh, and then it can pass back a uh, recommendation um, once again, using uh, FHIR as a uh, standardized way to uh, encode that recommendation, if you will, back to the uh, electronic uh, health record system where the patient's uh, record uh, exists. I think this circles back to our earlier conversation about the range of standards in healthcare, because we started talking about terminology bindings where you're coding specific um, pieces of data for descriptions. We've talked about FHIR, which is a data standard for a data standard for resources. And now we're talking about CDS hooks, which is an entirely different type of standard. It's a it's a support standard. It provides data, but it also consumes data while it's working. So yeah, CDS hooks is a part of the FHIR architecture that has evolved over the last three or four years. And CDS hooks is the part of the decision support that sits in the electronic record system and identifies events that are triggers for a decision support service and knows uh, what data is needed by that uh, decision support service. So it collects that data from the EHR and passes it to the decision support service outside the EHR as fire uh, data. So CDS hooks is the part of the uh, of the decision support that sits in the EHR uh, and uh, runs in the background, if you will, looking for events that uh, would trigger some particular piece of uh, of decision support, uh, a medication order, and and there is a uh, concern about that particular medication being given to patients who have. Uh, uh, decreased kidney function. So the CDS hooks uh, checks to see if this individual has decreased kidney function and uh, invokes a decision support if they do. That's the sort of the ba basic concept of CDS hooks uh, as a consistent way to link out to outside decision support using FHIR. Okay. It's been great to talk to you and we will talk to you soon again. Yeah, great. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, data standards. If, if I stop people on the street and say I want to talk about data standards, uh, they look at me kind of weird. <laughs> All right. So thanks again to Russ and Adam for doing part two of that interview, which had a lot of interesting stuff. Adam, what were some of your key takeaways from, from part two specifically, but really the whole thing? Uh, if you have any major insights, takeaways, things that you found really interesting about it. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, I think Russ did a great job of summarizing the new ONC and CMS final rules on interoperability. 
I think those are going to be pretty big moving forward. My understanding is that we won't see too many new requirements for providers or payers, apart from the information blocking aspects and the new APIs that are required to be exposed. A lot of these rules have been designed so that contracts don't have to be renegotiated and users don't have to worry too much about their data getting into new hands, except for the third party apps, which they, the end users themselves have to authorize. So InterSystems Iris actually will be able to support providers, payers, and these third-party apps uh, at all levels with user and role-based security and InterSystems Iris and support for all these different APIs. Very cool. And, and I think uh, it was good to see after part one, where, which was a lot of conceptual, a lot of the history, a lot of the evolution of the technology to fold into part two, which kind of talked about InterSystems technology specifically. Um, and I think another thing for me that jumped out in part two was the connection of kind of what the impact is on clinicians and doctors and medical staff, right? Because I, like I had mentioned in part one of, of the interview that I have, I have friends and colleagues that I went to school with that are in that field and they don't know anything about the, the standards and, the, and all the technology that is underneath some of these front end systems. So it was interesting to hear Russ's perspective on that and kind of flushing out, you know, what's really involved and, and where the impact kind of ripples through to the actual users and the end users of these applications and medical facilities. I agree. I think we're going to see some, I think we're going to see some really creative uses for this in the future. Cool. So we're also joined by Jenny Ames, who is the manager of the online learning uh, content for data platforms. Uh, Jenny, you might remember was on episode one. Jenny, how's it going? Yeah. Hi, Derek. Uh, it's going well. How are you? Good. So uh, we wanted to bring Jenny in as well for the topic that Russ and Adam uh, interviewed about in, in part two specifically, but really the whole thing. Um, and I know, Jenny, you, you could offer your thoughts on the interview with Russ, but we also have uh, some other topics that we we're going to bring you in as the expert to discuss the, with some interesting things that are coming up for InterSystems. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Russ is fantastic. He knows his stuff. And it's it's so great to have him be able to be on this podcast and and share some of the things that he says, you know, are going on now and, and foresees in the future. So, so I, Russ is great to work with. We've one of the other things that we've worked with Russ on lately is kind of preparing for uh, Fire Dev Days that's coming up, um, and that's coming up June fifteenth to the eighteenth. And we're pulling together a bunch of uh, resources to be able to support this. But it's it's actually remote this year, which is really exciting because I think there might be some opportunities for um, other people who might be new to fire or experts in fire. It, it really spans the board on people being able to be there. So I'm really excited about this event coming up. Yeah. So it's with a lot of events that were probably previously planned to be uh, in-person, on-site events, another challenge, obviously, to create a virtual event. But right. um, what are some of, you know, A, it might remove some barriers for some people that maybe wouldn't have gone to an on-site event or, or, or traveled or, or whatnot. Um, what are some of the reasons that people should look into attending this event if they can uh, to really get the, the benefits of Fire Dev Days? Yeah. Um, so there's lots of really great benefits. First of all, there's experts from um, a ton of different organizations that are coming to speak people that have built uh, applications on fire they start from basic to some really cool applications of how they're using fire to really uh, impact their facilities we actually have someone from intersystems who's going to be speaking patrick jameson who's the product manager for intersystems iris for health um, and he's doing a presentation on api management with fire uh, which is a really interesting topic um, so that's on the thursday at 245 but I, it's, I've seen him do some presentations in the past on, on this topic in particular, and I think it's going to be a good one. Nice. 
Jenny, can attendees of Dev Days expect anything from Learning Services? Yes, actually. Um, so, well, we've partnered with a few different other groups, so it's not just Learning Services, but uh, we've put together a page specifically for those interested in fire and intersystems technology to get started. That is on uh, our new Getting Started Health site. It basically shows a bunch of resources, um, exercises, use case videos, and ways to get started with using fire with specifically uh, Intersystems Iris for Health. But yeah, it's I'm excited for how it's coming together and um, hoping that it will help with uh, people who are new to our technology and also for people who are just interested in using Fire with our products that haven't done so before. Nice. And we'll, we'll make sure we put the uh, URL to that in the podcast description so you guys can check that out, which, as Jenny said, is uh, eventually probably going to just be a generic kind of place for information on Fire within Intersystems Iris for Health. So good stuff. Uh, thanks for the update, Jenny. And thank you, Adam, for uh, interviewing Russ. So that's all we have for episode nine. And we'll see you next time on Data Points. <laughs>